Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, instead we're getting tickled by chicory. Who's getting tickled by chicory with us? Because I know I'm ready to do it. Garrett, are you ready? I'm ready, Dan. Ready to get tickled by chicory? I'm ready to get tickled by chicory. Then welcome to I Like to Movie Movie. My name is Dan Scully. Beautiful. It felt like a game show intro at a certain point. <laughs> you gotta have that. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, Dan, I'm excited to be here. I'm super hyped that uh, we decided to watch this movie. Um, yeah, this is. Um, I guess this is our Halloween episode, which will likely be dropping the day after Halloween. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I think in a world where, and, and a world that I think is very funny, this always made me laugh. If you remember last year, there was a slight movement to just make Halloween the Saturday closest to Halloween. Right, yeah. And, like, Halloween's still Halloween, but trick-or-treating and festivities are would be on the Saturday before that, which is, like, kind of essentially what happens anyway. Yes. But I remember there was, like, talk of, like, uh, I'm air-quoting, like, officializing that somehow. Okay. And I remember when that happened, there was, like, uh, there was, like, in, in the, the uh, you know, the Halloweeners crowd, everyone was like, no, 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 don't do it. Halloween is sacred. Right. And it was like, Wait, but last week you decided that Halloween starts in June every year. <laughs> and so, so it's, I think it's okay. Yeah. But it was just one, I mean, it's one of those things that's not real because we just celebrate Halloween on the Saturday closest to it well, anyway. It's just, anyway, yeah. It's yeah. just what happens, just not on the books. Yeah. But this year it is on a Saturday and we are trapped inside. Yes, it is true and sad. Uh, But, uh, I mean, I have been actually really enjoying this October in our, I mean, you know, I'm in this like new house that I'm excited about and stuff, but Mm. like we have been watching so much and like we actually, like we decided not to do the film festival this year. Yeah. We decided, like, we ended up having a really busy month anyway for like a bunch of other reasons, but like, I didn't actually have a lot of like movie responsibilities this month for like the yeah. first time in a while. And so like we've just been watching like spooky movie after spooky movie like all month long and it's been awesome. It's so nice. It's been just so going nice. into quarantine like because it caused my like movie work diet to dissipate. Yeah. I suddenly started getting really into like I I was never going to watch The Pianist. Right. But I always wanted to have seen it, and now I've seen it. Apocalypse Now, JFK. I was putting in like all the big ones, big lengthy ones yeah. that I, that I wasn't going to do otherwise. And uh, so, like, I was kind of addicted on that. So I've been on festival after festival for almost all of October, from fan, uh, Fantastic to Salem Horror to Nightstream, and now the Philadelphia right. Film Festival. And we're coming down on the home stretch, and I can't wait to get to a point where I'm watching a movie because it's what I felt like watching and not because it's what's on at that moment. Yes. That said, I have been having a blast. Yeah. yeah. But um, I'm going to have to do all of my Halloween horror stuff. I mean, I watch horror. I probably watch two horror movies a week, every week, all year, every year. Yeah. But uh, I would like to have some of that cozy seasonal fun, and I think it will actually start... Saturday on Halloween. I'm going to oh, enjoy the fests, Halloween stuff. 
Yeah. And then I'm kind of just done with it from there, and I'm going to yeah, catch dude. up. And I want to see the rest of these Omen movies. Well, also, pick a favorite and do that. Like, do yourself the favor of picking a movie you've seen a hundred times that is just a Halloween oh, favorite yeah. and put it on. That experience has been so nice, too. Like, not having movie responsibilities means I've been, like, a lot more, I don't know, interested in just being like, oh, let me put that movie on that I like. Yeah. You know what, what I mean? Was, what was, like, the best thing that you put on that was just an old favorite? Well, actually, we were just talking about this before the show started, but I, I just rewatched Bone Tomahawk this week and, like, had a great time rewatching that movie. It holds nice. up really, really well. It's, like, and it gets, like, funnier every time I watch it. Mm. I think I just, like, enjoy the characters more every time. Like, you know what occurred to me this time, Dan, that I don't know that we, we talked about before when we were watching it? If you think about what the actual premise of that movie is, it's about two really old guys and a cripple that need to go save a woman and so they have to take the only capable man in town who is a vicious psychopath. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like and you're talking about Matthew Fox, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. Like, that's the who plot of that movie. So good at that. He's tremendous in that movie. He's so That scene good where he movie. wakes up and shoots because yes. he hears something, that is like, I was, that put the fear in me. That was it's good so stuff. Cool. Yeah, he's yeah. great in that movie. Dude, between that and Racer X, it's like, I, I was saying to Tori, I was like, yeah, what I, happened? I, well, I hear he's maybe a bit of a nightmare. Like as a person, uh, yeah, and I, and so you know, I get it. It's like, well, don't work with that guy then. That's that's totally yeah. Fair. If he's difficult, why invite totally the trouble? Fair. That said, boy, would I like to see that guy in more weird genre stuff. He, oh yeah, I don't know what it is about him, but he's got just the right thing for that. He like gets it. Uh, uh, and what's weird is I don't find him to be the most uh, engaging actor all the time. Right. I don't find him to have the the uh, the biggest range. Yeah. But like, there's there's weird genre things such as Bone Tomahawk, and especially when he plays Racer X and Speed Racer, where it's like, I I actually don't think anyone else could do this quite the way you are. I know. And like, I don't really. I would never have thought Matthew Fox if they said cast Racer. Yeah. But now if they said cast Racer X, I'd be like, well, if Matthew Fox isn't available, can the movie? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just not happen. Well, I was thinking about how, and I think even the first time I saw Bone Tomahawk, I didn't entirely appreciate his performance as much as I do now. Um, and I saw a, a friend of ours, Hunter, give a review of Bone Tomahawk recently where he was like, having seen it a few times now, I really like what Matthew Fox is doing and I hated it at first. And I do think there is a stiffness to a Matthew Fox performance that could be mistaken for just like kind of bad acting. Yeah. That it I, happened to Keanu Reeves for a long time. Right. And I think it's actually a, like, I like having, again, like having watched Bon Tama a couple of times now, it's like, he's making really strong choices uh, that work very well for that character. And like what that character ultimately is about and how that character kind of serves the movie, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and the same could be said for his racer X performance. There is a stiff quality to it, but it, it feels like a, a choice that's being made that is helpful to that character and what that character is like meant to be getting. And I think it like, it suits the sort of distance that happens when you're watching a, like, like the, to me, if someone said, try and capture the essence of the detachment between a poorly translated, very basic hyper-colored cartoon from, from Japan, you know, yeah. how do you capture that with a white American actor? Yeah. And I'd be like, I, you'd have to you'd have to do it knowingly and with a wink and with a nod and you'd have to be silly about it. And that is not at all what they did. Right. And I think it's that weird, like, I don't want to say woodenness, but that that what you're talking yeah. about that allowed him to do that in a way that that felt very much like a choice. And it was a choice that I can't imagine anyone else having the like having having that thought, you know? Yeah. 
uh, I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about Nicolas Cage movies and talking about what's great about Nicolas Cage. And what they were saying was like, what can often be mistaken is just like, wow, look at these crazy choices he's making is like, no, you don't understand. There's like, there's no other actor that could do this. Like Mm -hmm. there are certain movies that he has made where it's like, there's just no one else that could do like what he's doing with this. Mm -hmm. And it's what makes this whole project work and function. And it, I think like Matthew Fox might be, I mean, I, I'm not necessarily comparing him to Nicolas Cage uh, and his style of acting, but like, I think he's an actor that's sort of like that, where it's like, there's just a thing that he does that nobody else really can do. And so if you, mm. there are certain projects that you plug him into and it's like, he just works very well and, and sort of like the, he and the project work well for each other, you know? Do you remember him showing up in Smoke and Aces? <laughs> yeah. He's like the dweeby security guard who yes. I, I'm pretty sure dies quick and hard. I think but so. Yeah. It's another like very oddball performance and it's meant to be funny. Right. And I remember, and like that movie's decent. And I remember thinking, even as I watched it, that it was like, it's clear he gets that he has to make this funny, but it seems almost as if he doesn't get how funny this is. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? And like it's yeah. that weird, uh, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, I, I, I agree with what you're saying 100%. I, yeah. He's. I just don't think he's the type that's ever going to carry a movie. Right, right. Like yeah. years ago, I saw he did a movie called not Vanish, not Vanishing Point. That's the car one. Right. Vantage Point. Vantage Point. Vantage Point. And it's a great idea where someone gets assassinated, yeah. and then they keep revisiting that situation from a different ensemble character's perspective. Oh, until we ultimately find movie. out who is behind the assassination, and he's like the lead of it. Yeah. And even that movie, which is one that doesn't really hold a lead because it, uh, you know, because of its structure, you know, mm-hmm. each character becomes a lead for a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. He is still ostensibly the lead, and even in that like diet lead task, he like doesn't come up to snuff yeah but like you said plug him into something weird and he's essential and it makes sense to me right like he's like one of those actors that has and face and you know they chose him to lead a tv show you know i think like for that reason and he's good on that show i you know i jack is ultimately like not my favorite or i think the most interesting character on that show sorry but that's right. But also that's kind of the function of Jack in that. It's like, once again, another thing where it's like, that is sort of the function of that. Ca- he's oh, meant yeah. to be he's bland the, doctor guy. Yes. He's literally, his name is literally shepherd. Like he's yeah. meant to be the bland leader guy that the more interesting characters can rely on and follow around. And, and, and he you know, almost has to be blank because they project all of their problems to him. Right. Yeah. And he has to like give himself a, an appendectomy and kill a wild pig and shit. Right. And it feels oh. like, you know, it feels like I'm that uh, is the only way he can be a leading man is when the idea of him as a leading man is only is like almost kind of a farce that, that yeah, yeah. Actually he's an excuse for there to be this interesting ensemble surrounding him, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's what he seems to work best is among ensemble, you know, like both of the other ensemble. movies we're talking about are big ensemble movies. Even I think um, uh, Speed Racer is actually like a big ensemble movie. Yeah. Yeah, he's certainly not the main character. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's, he's absolutely, it's not Speed right. Racer X. Right. Uh, what's the, um, uh, oh shit, I lost my train of thought. Was yeah, it a- whatever. Sorry, you just broke up a little bit there. Was it a lost thought? Um, was it a lost thought? It was something about Sawyer. Saeed loves torturing people. <laughs> um, that was always my favorite. Whenever he'd be like, never again, I will never torture another person. Uh And then like, you know, like a couple minutes later, they'd be like, 
well, we got to get some information out of this guy. Like, did someone say torture? They're like, Saeed, no, nobody said torture. He'd be like, well, I, I, okay, fine. I will torture him. I don't want to, but I'll do it. And they're like, we don't need you to do it. He's like, this is the last time. Last torture. But like, Saeed, we're just going to ask him. He's real nice. We're, he just might tell us. He's like, It'll, two tortures. I will torture him two <laughs> times. No! Saeed, stop! Oh, that's very funny. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I forget what I was going to say. Uh, ah, it's gone. It's gone. Well, Something about Matthew. But, oh, I. I don't know, but now the phrase uh, get, getting foxy is, <laughs> is in my head. So I think maybe it was around a joke saying that we've gone from I like to movie movie with getting foxy with Garrett and Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into it. Wait, but so I was going to say, because you asked, uh, you know, I did, I've watched, I've rewatched some other stuff too, like Brain Dead uh, or um, I'm Dead Alive. Mm. I rewatched Corey. Really good. We got to see like a cool, we went to, um, we, we got Viva Video memberships. Now that we're oh, here. right on. And they had like a some sort of unique like Japanese cut of that movie that literally has like nice. extra minutes of finale basically, but that movie's so crazy that I kn- I don't know what was new. I have no idea. It like that I, I I saw a movie that was like literally a half hour longer than the version of it I've seen, and I have no idea what of it I hadn't seen before. I mean, I think that speaks to the quality of it. Yeah, because that last twenty minutes is such a fucking like carnival of insanity. Yes, that like if it's if no piece of the added footage feels extraneous, right. then that just speaks to how awesome it is. Yeah. Uh, so that was like fun to do. But so we also, because of Eva, I saw some new shit or new to me shit this week that I loved that I okay. will take a minute to recommend. I think one of them you've seen, but uh, we watched The Hunger, which is like an early Tony Hunger. Scott movie. Oh, that has been on my criterion list forever. Dude, um, I've not seen that yet. Pull the trigger. It is yep. so good, but like it, it's like it's like a mood. It's like a it's like a two hour music video. It's like a really moody movie that, by the way, looks just like Blade Runner. It's cool. really weird. Apparently, Ridley Scott was going to make this movie, and then it ended up in his brother Tony Scott's hands. And it straight up looks just like Blade Runner. And it's just like so. I don't know. The history of the movie is really strange. Bowie is in it in like a pretty yeah. I know Bowie's in it. Yeah. Pretty pivotal role, really good, but it's just like really moody and strange. Susan Sarandon is in it and really nice. good. Uh, it's great. I can't even describe it. I don't even know if I know exactly what it's about, but it just like it it like it is just a good, cool, just I don't know, very moody movie. I, I really really. I mean, I've it. been sold on it for ages. It's just one that I never thought to press play on. But this will be the this will be the catalyst because uh, I have a list of things that I'm like hot on at the moment that yeah. are just piling up that I can't watch until yeah. I get through the festival. Which yeah. I got to say, I'm gonna make a couple wrecks. It's been real good. Oh yes, uh, I the hunger's great. Totally watch it. But dude, the other thing I watched, and I think you've seen this, that we fucking loved was Miss Forty Five. No, dude, I give that's a, that's a perfect movie. Yep, me too. Yeah, five stars. Yep, dude. that I love that score. Yep, um, especially at the at the scene when they're all like in the, the club and the it's great because he's Halloween playing a saxophone. Party, but it's but a trumpet. The, it's a trumpet. Yeah, I I love that too because if you look up the guy who did the score, yep. he's a saxophone player. Yep. Yeah, it's it so is good. Unmistakably a saxophone. I love saxophone music. I particularly love saxophone in the style that it is played throughout yep. that Halloween party. Dude, I it listened is... to that that score, and it's only like the whole score collectively is like maybe like thirty minutes. <laughs> but uh, uh, I listened to that for weeks after I first saw oh. that movie. Miss Forty Five. That is one of the most well directed pieces yes. of sleaze I have ever seen in my life. Totally agreed. And it's 
uh, th- not to speak too harshly, there's something coldly brilliant about it being a rape, rape revenge movie. Yeah, well, we Tori and I talked about this where I think one of the interesting things that the movie ultimately does is it draws a very straight line from masked psychopath to the guy that is stalking you at your job. Mm-hmm. Because of the way the movie is formatted and the types of people that she encounters as the movie goes on, starting with those two, like, pretty brutal, but, like, um, you know, not overly graphic rape scenes. Uh, Tori and yeah. I talk about that a lot, too, where, like, they're not meant to be titillating or anything. This is, like... Yeah, know, they're meant to be as horrifying. I mean, yeah. uh, I mean, we could talk about Abel Ferreira and yes. his dance around titillation yes. as... as the face but yeah no agreed yeah. um it actually reminded me a lot of and oh what was the it was a, it was a french movie that came out a few years back which one oh revenge is it called revenge yeah yes it reminded agreed. me uh tonally of that at totally least agreed. in the way that that kind of shit was handled yep. where it still felt like an exploitation movie without feeling as as dated and exploitative as as it could have yeah, and for I- this to have come out of that era is just weird and the other thing that I agree with is that it is just a fucking, trem- it's such a good movie. Like, mm-hmm. it looks great and has, like, such a good score. And the especially the central performance is, like, really good. Uh, it, it's a Have you read up on her? No. I don't remember all the details specifically, so I'm not going to, you know, put it on wax right now. Yeah. Read up on her. She okay. has a crazy, tragic story. Okay. Yeah, it's, she's like... If I remember correctly, she's like an almost somebody, you know, like, there's, yeah, yeah, like she, she, she didn't get explicitly Sharon tated, but she was like one of those where it was like, whoa, could have, could have done it. But man, you know. that's so unfortunate. She's very good in the movie. Very, very good. Yeah. I, I loved Miss 45. And, and by the way, I don't think I have seen other Abel Ferrara movies. As far as I know, I'm aware of a bunch of them. I know Driller mm. Killer is currently available on Criterion. Yeah. That's on my list of post fest enjoyables. I might do that tomorrow for Halloween. We loved this so much. We were like, that might be the next thing we like mainline is like, just find a bunch of Abel Ferrara oh, and go for you gotta it. You got to do some bad Lieutenant. Yeah. I would because love to. If you like Porter call new, new Orleans do. and you like, uh, Harvey Keitel, Yep, I do. And especially if you like Harvey Cottel's buns and penis, <laughs> uh, you want to check out some, some bad, some bad lieutenant, baby. Look yeah. no further. Uh, yes. Um, yeah, that movie is pretty nuts. It's been a while since I've seen it. Abel Ferreira also did the straight to TV body snatchers remake sequelish thing from like the nineties. From like nineteen ninety and ninety four, something like that. That movie, it's it's not like the most amazing thing. It is Abel Ferrera working under like sci fi channel rules or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But there's it, it's not bad. There's one shot in it. One shot that like where a thing happened like you know a thing's about to happen that is gonna be truly horrifying. And I went, I wonder how they're gonna show this. And the, the answer was <laughs> Oh, they're just gonna show. <laughs> it's fucking wild, and um, and so yeah, it's it's a cool movie. Yeah, all right. I don't know yeah. if I know any other Ferrera. He's done a bunch of, of stuff. But uh, man, you're I gotta go down that path with you because yeah, Miss Forty Five is oh, just fucking perfect. Loved it. Loved it. Yeah. I actually I want to find. I, I think um, Death Waltz Records put that score out on vinyl at nice. some point in like the last like 10 years or so. So I got to find it definitely that. exists. Cause it's like on Spotify yeah. as an album, yeah. you know, it's not a playlist or anything. Right. Yeah. I got to find it. Cause I would love to own that. It's so good that that sax and dude, it did. It made me cackle throughout that whole Halloween party scene. 
that that saxophone was always a trumpet. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it so is, good. I've never heard a saxophone that sounded more like a no saxophone has ever sounded so much like a saxophone. It, trumpets the don't squawk. And it that is, saxophone was honking and squawking. And they and it wasn't like you know how sometimes movies will just cut to a band that's playing, and you kind of you cut you just kind of know that like okay so like they're not I'm not meant to think that they're playing the score I'm hearing necessarily I'm just seeing that there's like a band yeah, playing yeah. plates, but I'm still getting the movie's version of the music like the score. Yeah, this is distinctly every time the saxophone picks up to wail out a solo, they cut to this guy on his trumpet just oh yeah and and the camera's like doing this yeah. kind of stuff oh i i love the party the, the way that they uh, they like party shoot that it yeah. made me laugh so and fucking it's hard very clearly not a trumpet yeah it made me laugh so hard every time i loved it it's uh i it's kind of endearing though like that's one of those things like we always talk about when limitations in a movie like end up defining something and i think the reason why those are so compelling to me is because they always speak to a moment of you know the inherent dishonesty of movies where it's like well we can't show it so how can we we have to we have to depict it even if we can't show it so how do we get the audience to do this and that's just one of those like great dishonesties where it was like we don't have a saxophone on set for some reason. All our music yeah. saxophone is like, well, then let's shoot that motherfucking trumpet like it's a saxophone. <laughs> yeah. And it just works. Yep. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, it's so funny. But uh, you've been at the Film Fest. I know you wanted to make some recommendations from oh, there. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll throw a couple things out. Um, I've been I've been doing the Film Fest. There's just been a... Man, my, my head is just <laughs> I completely understand. melted. I'm... I only but, ever do like one of these a year, you know, and they yeah, melt yeah. my brain. You've been doing like seven in a row for the past two it's months. It's been like a month and it's, it's a lot, but I will throw a couple things out there. Um, one, there was this, there's this really wild movie. Oh, you know what? I'll, I'll recommend this one. It's called white lie. Um, do you remember in Hannibal, the young girl that was like in and out of the plot, Abigail Hobbs? Yes. This stars that actress. Okay. As a young uh, ballet dancer who's very popular and who is currently undergoing chemotherapy for a uh, for like advanced melanoma, okay. and a lot of her income and educational opportunities come from the fact that she is getting a lot of charity for her condition. The thing is, she doesn't have cancer; she's just making it up. Whoa! And so it is a thriller, like a slow burn thriller about her, just like. You know, like it's like things like the gambler or thief or things like that where you're like, Oh my god, just get out of your, your shit now while you still can. Yes. It's that, but it's her just maintaining the lie yes. because she has to get some actual medical records real soon and she can't really pull it off. And it's yeah. just that's all it is, just a quiet thriller about Whoa. this girl trying to keep it together. And she's like an she's she's an anti hero because they characterize her in a way where it's like, you know, of course fuck her. This is awful but she's also very well motivated so you're going you know as you watch it you're wondering do i want her to get her comeuppance or do i think this close of a brush with getting caught is enough to set her on the right path you know do i want her to get away with it or do i want and i just found it very compelling on that angle and it's it was cool white lie keep an eye open for that shit that sounds good and that sounds like the uh the good time thing right that's like the connie thing yes where it's yeah it's i'm on board with your goal but it's horrible <laughs> but it's horrible it's like yeah. i i know this is how you think you need yeah. to fix this and i disagree but if you can fix it please take the right lesson yeah 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 and yeah it says um 
There was this one uh, called Miracle Fishing that was uh, in 1994. This dude just gets kidnapped by Colombian guerrillas, and his family negotiating to get him back says, "Let's just keep a camera running." And so it's just the tapes from that. But oh, it ends up being a really this. poignant uh, story about like a family that that finds joy and togetherness in this just you know an impossible situation to negotiate. Yeah, and it's just that footage, so that one's really well done. Um, I, Dan, I saw a review of that that it made me think of you that I thought you would really appreciate. Where somebody was like, "It's so good." This documentary can now serve as the ultimate evidence that all found footage movies can and should exist. Like there is yeah. now an actual documentary where it's like, "Yeah, no, they did keep the camera rolling," so you can yeah. stop making that argument. <laughs> And and the explanation for keeping the camera rolling was the guy was like, we just wanted to have a record from it. The, the people need to know, <laughs> you know, like that's just exactly in Cloverfield. They're like, put down the cameras. Like, the people got to know about the monsters. Like, I think the people are going to know about the monsters. But, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Uh, yes. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, there's this one movie called Gunda, which is just a uh, it's literally just intimately shot, artful footage of animals at a farm. Hmm. it's two hours black and white no human interference very little by way of you know editorial slant to anything it's just cute little pigums mm-hmm. and moo cows and and sweet baby chickens mm-hmm. and they're all just in the in the and it's it's a film that's very frank about nature and life some dark-ish things happen in it but it's a it's never devoid of joy mm-hmm. um it's yeah it's, it's just a very honest truthful documentary and unlike anything i've ever seen hmm. and then um that actually sounds good it's it's really cool gunda and then the two that i watched yesterday one of them i gave an almost perfect score one of them i gave a perfect score mm-hmm. uh, almost perfect went to i'm your woman which is going to be available very soon uh just for everybody outside of a festival mm-hmm. rachel brosnahan mob wife 1970s set crime thriller uh mom on the run with a baby kind of thing um, unbelievable script yeah i loved everything about it. it it's just it's funny it's weird it's like like a feminist slanted 70s crime thriller surprisingly violent the script is just lean the characters are so good i it's it's one of those movies that i loved everything about yeah and then uh so yeah i'm your woman keep your eyes open for that and then the killing of two lovers yeah what's that killing of two lovers is it's like 85 minutes long it's very short and it's just it takes place during a trial separation between you know and i I don't i use this term strong it's it's not the right term but to give you they're just like kind of like white trash okay yeah you know like i wouldn't say that they're trash because like actually their kids are like lovely and wonderful (laughs) but it's like this couple that have been together since high school they're just on it starts and they're on a trial separation yeah. And so it mostly follows the dad and the mom is like sort of kind of seeing someone else now because it's a trial separation. Mm-hmm. But the goal is to ultimately get back together. So it's just a couple days in the life of that. But it is, I still haven't put it in my review, but the way I described it was, you know, when you're boiling a pot of noodles and you're watching it because at any moment it could boil over. Mm-hmm. And then you look away at the exact moment it starts to boil. Mm-hmm. And then you look back. And you have to go running back to the stove to turn it off because it's right about to boil. <laughs> that one second of that's the whole movie. Yeah. The whole movie is simmering at that and you're just trying to turn it off. Yeah. But it's it's 
it's a very quiet and and slow and you know uh, not very you know bombastic about any of its stuff kind of movie. But I thought I was gonna rip my fucking hair out by the end of it. it was fantastic. <laughs> Killing All right. of two lovers. Yeah. Killing of two lovers. Okay, cool. Killing of two lovers. Good stuff. So yeah, it's been it's been good. That sounds good. Yeah. Um. Well, let's talk about the omen because let's talk have, about the omen. I have lots to talk about. For one thing, Dan, I feel like I keep the history of this show is me saying I've never been a horror fan and then realizing how many of these movies I saw when I was a kid. Yeah. This might literally be like the first horror movie I ever saw. Ooh. I have like very distinct memories of seeing this fairly young and actually seeing the other two, uh, like shortly thereafter. Like I had, I, uh, a very good friend of mine growing up had HBO. So it was the house I could go to and see things that I wasn't allowed to see. just played things you know and so there were just things on the tv and taxi cab confessions (laughs) right i'm pretty sure i saw this on hbo maybe when i was in middle school maybe even younger than that i'm not sure but it it feels like i was pretty young uh in my memory of this and liking it so much that we immediately went and rented two and three nice uh, the video store um because i have pretty distinct memories of all three of these movies uh and i this movie held up in a really great way uh having not seen it since then um but i also have like i lots of interesting thoughts about this movie i'm like curious to talk about it had you ever seen it before i've never seen it before i literally watched it for the first time about two hours ago it ended it ended 20 minutes before we picked up recording this episode yeah the thing is i was surprised watching it how much of it i had laid my eyes upon before yes um a lot of it looked familiar but i'm torn between whether that's because this is one of those movies that was kind of on because you know like the way we live our lives horrors in the periphery you see things and also because i have seen the remake with liev schreiber um in the uh, uh gregory peck role right. and i remember seeing that in the theater and enjoying it well enough yeah. And and actually, even now, I have to look more into this, but I looked up the screenplay credit, and the screenplay credit is the same guy, but the the remake is not listed as an adaptation or anything. Yeah. I think it might be the same script oh, whoa, in weird. the remake. And so I kind of want to watch it again, having just watched this, yeah. to see if that actually tracks. But I, I have to look, look up and find some more information on that. Yeah. But... Um, I I mean, th- I'll tell you right now, this is getting a perfect score on my letterbox. Okay, I thought this yeah. was just phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, the way it was directed by Dick Donna. Dick uh, Donna. W- the way Dick Donna slings that camera. Yeah. But uh, the first thing that popped in my head watching it, uh, right at the opening when they're pitching the idea of like, hey, take this other baby. They do this yeah. great shot in the mirrors yeah. that, you know, and the way it reflected in the glass. And so I had to ask you, and this is someone who didn't just watch this movie. Did you immediately think of Exorcist 2? Yes, I did. Okay, because even that, I was like, I this evokes that, and I haven't seen that. You know, I don't remember much about it, but it evokes that immediately. Yeah, well, and also, you know, um, this is from that era of religious horror, right? Yeah. Like this movie is so Christian, but also not like most of it is fucking made up. Like most of the mythology that they're talking about is like just total hokum that they made up for this movie, you know. Well, it's like it treats it takes like the basic Christian mythology of just like, you know, Jesus versus devil. Right. But adds like kind of like I like the word you use, hokum, the folklorish hokum to it. 
it, it um, does which you know. gives it like like tasks and like mythology and spells and aspects to it yeah and like yeah. rules and stuff to play with um but i also like too that like yeah the, the, the church kind of blew it on this one though too by just you know making damien oh, <laughs> right well okay so i do want to talk about some of those plot elements because I, I have interesting thoughts about that too but um okay, I, cool, cool. so for me i i like this was like a three-star movie on a rewatch mostly because and i i i really did love this movie i think the stuff that works in this movie works so well like uh, on a sequence by sequence basis, there are so many good fucking scenes in this movie that are like really well made and interesting and weird. Like the giraffes that like seem oh, with the giraffes. That's chilling and, like, the way it, they all turn yes. around. I know. And, but it's also like, it's a great, simple, practical idea that evokes so much horror. Right. Yeah. And, and this whole movie is full of that stuff. But I also think the sort of latter half of the movie where it's like kind of a detective movie where uh, uh, Gregory Peck and David Warner are sort of like traveling around the world trying to dig up information. Yeah. It gets a little boring. I think this movie's like 20 minutes I wouldn't minutes say boring. Because, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm going to give it an absolutely perfect score. Because yeah. I wouldn't say boring, but I definitely felt the, the, the gear shift. Yeah. At the same time, though, I found Thorne to yes. be such an interesting and compelling character to watch. I, I really enjoyed watching him. So on that little mission, he was a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think Gregory Peck is really good in this movie. He's and really I, and, good. And I was wondering the whole time if Gregory Peck, as old as he is in this movie, like, did he think he was slumming it by being in this horror movie? Or was this, like, a meaty, interesting role? For, I was trying to figure out through his performance, like... If he, he plays it like a meaty, interesting role. Right, he has I to know. deliver a line that I think could have been hammy and it ended up like really shocking me yeah. when he was when he was laying there and he was like uh, you know Greg Gracie's is that his wife Gracie was it uh, I can't remember hold on Casey I, I think it was Casey but he was just like you know Kate you know uh, but he's like oh. she's dead and I want him to die yeah I want Damien yes. to die too and yes. it's the kind of moment that like a hundred percent of actors what is it Catherine Catherine, that's it. And um, uh, yeah, Kathy's dead. And but it, when he delivers that line, that's the kind of thing that anybody would deliver if in like a, a a B movie with arms to the thundering sky intensity of, and he will die too. You know, they would. That, that's an invitation to go big. Yes. And he instead imbued it with pathos, and it it legitimately chilled me because yeah. he was definitely, you know, he just seemed like such a powerfully good man doing his best. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, it was like him making peace with this idea that like the actual good man thing to do is something that no one could possibly understand. He's going to have to kill his child. Yeah. Oh, it, it just puts such fear in me. So I think, yes, he was treating this as if it was high art. Well, I, okay, so wait, let's talk about this because I think I feel differently about this character than you do. Okay, I, okay. My read on the movie this time, and I'm just, I'm curious what you think about this, was like, Okay, so part partially the reason I'm bringing this up is the the religious aspects of this. I think are yeah. what it like, wears on its sleeve as like its plot. Yeah. And so when when you think about the omen and I think what you on the omen is it's like exorcist adjacent. It's very much about the sort of religious horror aspect of this. The devil yes. being your child, right? But watching it, but because I I don't know I think have a background in that myself or whatever, uh, you know, and I'm. Sort of, now going like 
all none of this is all bogus. Like this is all just like a bunch of stuff they made up for the movie, which is fun. Uh, and I and I like I do like this aspect of the movie. I started watching it more for like what else is going on in the movie, and I really think the other thing that's happening in this movie is it's about these high society people that are just living fully in denial almost because they live in high society. Like something about high society demands a certain level, a level of denial of the actual reality of the world around yes. you. And because the whole, the whole thing starts. With well, he's I'll gonna... put it this way then. When I say he's powerfully good, yeah. I will say that I think on a personality basis, I don't think he has any malevolence. Right. I think I his sin comes from ignorance, not malevolence. That's what I mean. I, and I so when I localize that. it to that moment of him realizing he has to kill, that's suddenly him realizing like the, the right thing to do is get my hands dirty in this movie. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, and good. I, I do agree with that, that I don't think there's malevolent. I don't think he's like an evil character, you know? Um, but the whole thing starts with him lying to his wife. And and it it is a it is a well motivated lie for sure. Yes, right. It's like we understand why he lies to his wife, but he does lie to his wife, and the longer the movie goes on, that he continues to lie to his wife, the worse things get. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Moment he could stop lying to her, and there's even a point in the movie where she suspects that her son wants to kill her, and there's something wrong with her son. And he continues to lie to her. She says at some point, at some point, the doctor tells him she thinks it's not her child. And he mm. continues to maintain the lie that it is her child. It's like he actually could give her relief by telling her she's right. Yeah. It is not oh, yeah. her child. Uh, he's 100% he's, making the wrong moves. Yes. Without a doubt. And it's, and it's adding up. But what I like is that the way he's motivated to do so. Yeah, he's he's trying to be altruistic, and also yeah. there's that hard coded denial of like, I I can't just believe in magical evil just right. yet. Like right. he's going right up to that edge. Yes. And I do. I think the whole movie, and that's what I I came around to with this is I think the whole movie is about denial because yeah. I think oh, it's like, uh, agreed. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even focus this laser on him either. Like I think um, Catherine as a character is doing the same throughout the movie through a lot of the movie there's this whole thing with like the whole reason he ends up with multiple caretakers that are literally just devil worshipers looking to protect damien mm -hmm. is because they just so readily believe what those people are saying to them yeah, they're so yeah. used to having help in quotes yeah. so used to having the but help around obviously yes. evil people yes <laughs> just crack they just they just accept that like oh well yeah okay an agency yeah 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 okay because they'd rather not do the minimum work that parenting requires you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah they, they they are fully living in denial of just the responsibility of really just like being like adult humans because they're part of high society which allows them to sort of live a, a sort of like um, um, untethered existence to some extent, right? Mm -hmm. And I even so I wrote down this one line because I, I couldn't. I, I was like, "Oh, this is exactly what I'm thinking. This movie is about." In a line, at some point, there's a there's a point. Or eventually, Catherine totally freaks out and is like, "I think our son is trying to kill me." You know? Yeah. But before that, uh, Gregory Peck's character does try. Thorn tries to go like, "Hey, is there something wrong with our son?" And she won't hear it. And at some point, she says the line wrong 
What could be wrong with our child, Robert? We're beautiful people. <laughs> it's like it, yeah. and that is, and it, to me, it's that complete was, ignorance to that. Yeah, that's like exactly what I sort of started to suspect the movie was about this time. And then she like said that, and I was like, okay, that's at least definitely a thing that is happening in this movie. That like just their kind of their just denial of 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 any sort of responsibility, real responsibility. Yeah, in, yeah. In life. Um, kind of allows for this like really crazy fucked up thing to happen, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess that I, to amend my statement then, cause I do agree with all of that. Yeah. Um, I do think that they are good people in oh, good intentions. I, I do yes. think that they are good people with clean souls, but their yeah. sin is yeah. ignorance and, and denial. Yeah. Um, and that moment where he decides he needs to kill becomes even scarier when I think of that, because it's making peace with the fact that he needs to oh, kill making peace with the fact that supernatural things do exist and making peace with the fact that for the first time in his life, he's going to actually have to get his hands dirty to affect yeah, some totally change. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it so much. Dude, yeah. I, what was weird is going into it though. Like I know a lot of the Omen mythology in terms of like, I'm pretty sure it becomes president. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so that ignorance aspect, even in the first viewing, I mean, second viewing, if you count the, the remake and it happens yeah. to be the same script, um, even going into that, the ignorance thing did, I did think about it just in terms of like, what do we watch time and time again in the real world? We watch as, you know, a movement can get started and get presidential at a point, even when it gets infected by this evil. And when, when, when you ignore that evil, it can really become a big thing. Yeah. And so I was watching this movie just being like, yeah, it's wild that like, you know, I know Damien's evil because that's the promise of the movie. Yes. And like, you know, and so just knowing that Damien's going to eventually become president or become prominent in politics or something like that spoke to just a real concern now. And like, I, I actually watched a, a movie at the fest last night called And, and Tomorrow the Entire World. And it takes place okay. in Germany. So it has the German political background, which I'm not familiar with. But it's about this girl who gets involved with like an activist group, and they're a really good activist group. But there's a couple of them that like to take things a little further and do like yeah. the kind of shady stuff. And it becomes this like this story about how how quickly and easily and accidentally the the bad seed can become the figurehead. Yeah. And so I was thinking about that a lot watching this, and I'm going, this kid is you know a bad seed, obviously. Right. And I know that he's going to become the president, so it it feels almost ignorant. But uh, but at the same time, like I'm operating after the fact, so like I have the 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 uh, I have the foresight of knowing how it all ends, you know. Yeah. Um, but for the characters in the movie, it was like it's it's frustrating to watch them be miscommunicative about what's going on because yeah. they're so ignorant to it. Because I know that it's going to become this big thing. I'm rambling. So help, I think I'm making sense. No, no, no I because I question about you said something earlier in this conversation that made me think you might have understood an element of this movie that I think eluded me a little bit, which was what the actual church's plot was in this whole thing. Like yeah. I didn't fully understand. I understood that they were trying to tell me that somehow like Damien is more connected to the church than just, he was like born at that orphanage and they just gave Thorne that, 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 that there was something more orchestrated happening there. Yeah. I don't think I understood, but can you, can you explain it? I can't. Okay. I, the way that it seemed to me was that the, that there's an element in the church itself yeah. that 
is evil and could benefit from Damien becoming what he is prophesied to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the same way that, that, you know, in the church now, there's a lot of really good people. Also in the church, there are a lot of people who ha- who are child molesters. You know, like it's... Yeah. And they both exist, and, and I would hope that they're at odds with one another. And so that's just how I saw it was just like, if I wanted to get the Antichrist born and I was interested in that, the first thing I would do is get my shit involved in the church. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And so it just yeah. felt like there's a rogue element in the church that needed Damien to be born. I mean, they buried his mom, which I'm assuming was a dog or a... That's what it looks like, right? Yeah, and, like and you know, and they killed... Uh, you know, Thorne's actual child. Right. And so, you know, obviously there's a big plan here, yet there is an old drunk guy from the church that knows all of this and is trying to stop it. So that's yeah, how I read then, it, was that there's oh, there's just an evil and good faction within the church like anything else that's big and powerful. I want to talk about that guy in particular, but, like, on, on this note about him, um, correct me if I'm wrong, he, the, the drunk guy that you're talking, the, the crazy priest that keeps showing up, yeah, right? That's the crazy priest who's actually not crazy. Right, well, when he, is he the one who, when he dies, they say they find the 666 inscription, like, on the inside of his leg or something like that? Do you no. know what I'm talking about? No, the, uh, the guy with the 666 inscription inside his leg, I believe, was the dude at the beginning who gave him the baby. Okay. And then who later in the movie has his face all messed up and has right. to write with the chalk. Right, I think that's right. who he was referring to. So, Because that was the thing I couldn't figure out where it's like they sort of say that like that label is the sign of the devil. And that's yeah. how they know Damien is like the child of the devil. But then it's like they're also telling us that another guy had that insignia on him as well. And so then I got kind of confused about like just I, I don't know i guess like what i think it would meant. stand to reason like miss baylock probably has one somewhere maybe um, okay. you know like I, I think it would just stand to but reason there's... that like that birthmark foretells that you are associated with this evil oh interesting so yeah, okay I mean, so that there is something special about damon he's literally the son of satan but 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 the 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 symbol is not uh, uh specific to the son of satan he's special because he's not human Right. They're all humans that were born with the mark. Right. He is a human child that was born out of a, a dog beast. Right. That is not fully human. Or I guess, like, what, uh, what's it called? What is it called? Um, oh, no, that's a biblical thing. Uh, jackal. 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 <laughs> um, it's a jackal. So I think that's probably what it is, is that okay. he's born of a jackal. Okay. And then, okay. therefore, okay. because he's not human, is is the one that is is okay. Satan, you know, the son of Satan. Yeah. But yeah. Like okay. I said, this okay. is the first time. This is just what I'm putting together. And yeah. Last night I went to bed late and this morning my cat sang at my door very early, <laughs> very loud and very long. And then even batted on the door for yeah. a very long time. So I'm very tired. Yeah. And um well and I've watched let... about a hundred movies in the last week. I so I could be completely wrong. Well, I want to talk about some of the really cool shit in this movie, but first we gotta talk about that drunk priest guy. Every time he was on screen, I was like Dude, you need Thor to believe the craziest shit he's ever going to hear in his life. You got to start from a way better place than, ah, I got to tell you this crazy shit about your son. You <laughs> I think have... the first thing he says to him, he's just like, 
like he walks into the office and it's just like blah 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 and he's the devil and you must kill him and I'll show you how. He walks in and he says, You must accept Christ into your heart. It's like the yes. first thing he said, it's like, dude, you are starting from the wrong place if you need if you're gonna get Thorn to where you need to get him. Yeah, bring grab one brochure. Soften <laughs> yeah. the blow. It was and every time he showed up, he was like that. He was just like at eleven babbling stuff that like would make no sense to any I was like dude you are not you're getting nowhere your your whole plan is like I have to get this guy to basically murder his own child to stop the end of the world if you need that to happen you you need to start from somewhere different than that it gets yeah, you got to work on your approach yeah, yeah. <laughs> bedside manner coffee that, please, terrible <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, he was he was good, but I, I love the I love the idea of the drunk old priest yes. because we've seen it played so many different ways. And the way it's played here is that and, and the way it's played in even things like the exorcist is like the drunk old priest is drunk because he's actually seen the truth. Right, yes. All these fuckers he works with, they're just there for the pageantry. Right. This guy is seeing evil. He's stared us straight in the face, so he's gotta get to the bottom of a bottle of jack. Yeah. But like still has that you know his calling from god to stop evil but i like in this too he's concerned he's concerned that he's going to hell so i do wonder if he was involved in the baby trade right at some point i don't know i can't place that yet but he kept saying like you know i will see you in hell and i didn't know if that was because he was involved or because he just you know knew that he couldn't stop it or i don't know yeah yeah but yeah, oh, I love that character so much. I love the idea of just drunk because they've stared the devil in the face. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, so I think like the first hour of this movie is really fantastic. And it's like, it, I, I, I on Letterboxd described it as like a horror action movie. It's like a block. It's like oh, a horror yeah. action movie. You know? There's like half a car chase at the beginning. Yeah. You know, there's, yeah, it's very, I mean. It is from the guy who directed Lethal Weapon 1, Lethal right. Weapon 2, Lethal Superman. Weapon 3, Lethal yeah. Weapon 4. The Superman movies, fucking Goonies. Like, yep. It, I mean, he makes these like action-adventure movies. That's what he makes. And He's Dick this, Donna. Yeah, this movie has that in its DNA. And I was thinking about how, like, it's not that there aren't horror action movies. In fact, like, you know, maybe Poltergeist would be another good example of something yeah. oh, like yeah. this, you know? But there was something about the tone of this movie that felt really unique to me. Uh, like, I feel like this movie has almost gotten lost in the miasma of like just sort of like, you know, horror classics. Like, oh, yeah, that's one of the kind, you know, that's one of the decent ones from from the 70s or whatever, you know. And it's like when I was watching, I was like, no, this is like I don't think there are other movies like this movie, you know, like it has like some tonal similarities to other you know, haunted house movies of the seventies, like, yeah. you know, like your burn offerings or your, yes. uh, hell house. Um, yeah, not LLC, but legend of, <laughs> yeah. and, yeah. um, yeah. And like, it has things like that, but it's certainly not any of anything like those. Yeah. Um, it's almost, this is the wrong comparison to make, but whenever I think action horror, I think of, you know, Spielberg's War of the Worlds. Sure, yeah. Um, but it has, like, a sense of adventure like that. I mean, they literally go jet-setting at one point yeah. from country to country to try and locate a, uh, you know, a pre-Dreyfus scholar. <laughs> I know. 
Well, but and even like uh, you know, I lo- I love the uh, it's all for you, Damien. Like that whole sequence yeah. is like really great. But like the way that those things are filmed and set up, and they're so big. And you know, the 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 way um Catherine eventually gets uh injured. She, I guess she doesn't die from that, but like she gets yeah. injured. Like that whole sequence is like, you know, this this Rube Goldberg sequence. You know, it's this big sequence of all people adding up and and it is it's like a robert zemeckis set piece you know yeah. or oh, like yeah. there's all these little pieces of the machine that are sort of building on top of each other and building the tension and ratcheting it up and the jerry goldsmith score is doing a ton of work Dude, in that regard i wanted to bring that up that is just it's so good yeah it's, it's so, so crazy good when he comes home to find out that um who who did he come home to find out was dead early on in the movie, Gregory Peck's coming home and it's like a good day and the music is such good day music. <laughs> and then I forget what bomb is dropped on him when he gets home, but it like goes to very bad day music very quickly <laughs> and elegantly. It was, it's so good. Yeah. And and I, I just, I think that, yeah, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it's got a blockbuster feel. Well, that one I, of the best shots, has, you know, when she falls out of the hospital and Miss Baylock pushes her out of the hospital yeah. window it's this great, uh, definitely stunt man uh, yes. falling through yeah. the air. But then I love it's collapsed through the ambulance. Yeah. And then the force of it yes. opens the back door of the ambulance. Yeah. So the camera can then zoom in and yeah. show her dead body, blood yeah. coming out of her nose like that. And yeah. that's the kind of thing that, like, doesn't feel, you know, like even something like The Exorcist doesn't play with things right. like that. Yeah. And so, yeah, like that is a very big action movie moment. But instead of serving wow, it ends up to be like a, a visual sting. You know, it serves. Yeah. Hard. And I almost I wonder if because I feel like my impression of this movie it is, is it has the reputation of being like the cheesy little brother to the serious exorcist or something yeah. like that. You know, and I almost wonder if that's why, because it has a more just sort of studio movie quality to it. But I really like that about it, and I don't think it undermines the horror of it at all. I think it, like, I think it helps really the horror effective. of it. Yeah. The horror of it really worked for me almost because of that, because it is such a – joy is not the word, but it like goes down pretty easy, and it's like a real fun uh, peppy watch. Yes. And so then when it stings you with the horror, it's like – I, I, a couple times I did this reaction. This should probably say everything. Instead of being like, <gasps> there was two points where I went, ho, 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 ho. Yes. It's <laughs> so like it was that kind of a thing. I agree, yeah. You know I, like I, mean? I, I loved, and, and, and also just the idea of some very simple practical things that are highly effective uh, and the way Donner shoots them as big set pieces. Oh, you know, the, the head? The, yes. Oh, <laughs> the glass the on the head? The head's crazy. That's yeah, if you thought like that Donner big... was reinventing the wheel when he did the kayak head knock right. in Lethal Weapon 2, uh, nope, he was just updating an old trick. Yeah. My God, that was incredible. And and that that is specifically like a set piece, you know what I mean? Yeah. But 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 what I was gonna say is things like um um you know the 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 girl at the beginning, uh the Damien, it's all for you. That's 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 a body hanging off a noose off of a house, but. There's something about the way that whole sequence is is uh, set up and executed. Ooh, I know exactly what you're talking about. There's this one shot that I actually ran back to see again. When she first jumps, yeah, she swings backwards and crashes yeah. into the glass. Yeah. They cut really quick. It's half a second at most 
of inside the window yes. and just a maid in front of the window turning away and shielding her eyes. Yes, yes, and it's, yes. It's that long and it cuts back to the outside and it that much more visceral and cruel. Yeah. Oh, that's magic, man. And, I love and, that. And it feels like a real set piece. Same thing with, um. there are multiple scenes, but one in particular where it might be David Warner's character, maybe, or is it Gregory Peck's character? I can't remember. They're just in a very windy, like, uh, forest grove. No, that was the um, that was the uh, drunk old priest. Yes, yes, yeah, and it's really a fact. It's like very scary. It looks Dude, like those really... lightning strikes are wild. Yeah, uh, but it, it you know it, it's just good practical set work basically you know, but but it's really effective and scary and, and feels big like a big set piece. I, I don't mm-hmm. know why. I don't know how Donner is capable of that. You know, because they're they're you know even the animals, the stuff with the animals is like. You know, that's just some shot of some animals running, but he, I don't know. He the baboons were chilling. They were scary, yes. Although I got to say, I'm a little jealous because, I mean, you know this, I had my first experience with a drive through safari uh-huh. uh, just a month or two ago. Yes. And it was like, I, I, I don't know how that is a thing that's able to be done. I don't, I don't understand that that's a, like, it's very weird to me that there's just like wildebeests hanging out half a mile from a roller coaster. Yep. It's and, very, and it's very strange. Around them, <laughs> they're just there. Like while I'm here, there's just some lions, some jungle lions hanging out yeah. at Six Flags. It's the Real weirdest true. thing. Yeah. But as I understand it, had I gone when I was younger, I could have driven through where the baboons were. Yes. I wish I could do that, man. Because even when we drove through, they had like a baboon area, and the recording was like, we had to close off our baboon area in 1993. <laughs> Trust us. Your windshield wipers and radio antennas will thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it was like okay. I'm I'm fairly certain that in like 1992 I went to. I have a memory of going to like a drive-through safari where there were just animals roaming around the car that we were. In. Well, the one that I went to, the animals were roaming around, but yeah. like you couldn't, the lions couldn't roam around because they're right. your babies. Yeah, uh, the baboons couldn't roll around because apparently they're nuisances. <laughs> uh-huh. And they react to antichrists. Yeah, and right, Lord yeah. knows there's a lot of them these days. But yeah, I thought that like just from a filmmaking perspective, this is really impressive. And you know what it reminds me most? Um, the Conjuring. Um, the Conjuring I was going to say not, that a minute ago. Yeah, because James Wan's an action director. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yep, I was going to say not even necessarily in the plot or anything, but just that that kind of blockbuster action sensibility brought to horror just using it to kind of enhance the horror, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I really like it. I, I think it works great. There was a, um, when they're for, oh, the, the set piece of the graveyard that they go to when they dig up the, yes. the bones, that set piece was very, very much like the one in Bride of Frankenstein. Yes. Um, but it was cool. Cause you could see what enchanted me about it was like over the foreground, you could see like down into the valley. Yeah, where you know, like almost like Spielbergian down into the valley, and there was just little pinpricks of light. It was it was so cool, um, all that smokiness there. But in that scene when they're getting attacked by the dogs, there's one part where where Gregory Peck's got got a dog on each arm, and uh-huh. they are ripping at him, and it's uh-huh. definitely him. And I'm going, <laughs> yeah. did they really train these dogs to do that? And then I look, no, they were these incredible puppet dogs yes that were using to rip at him and like it was edited in in such a way that it never felt like a puppet it felt real yep. you know yep. it, it was just very well done on that and it was Dude, like another one of those beautiful exactly pieces of movie dis- dishonesty where it's like 
Ah, throw a puppet dog in there. They'll never know. We'll cut around it. And you know what? Exquisite. I noticed exactly. I, I, there was just a shot where I was like, that's definitely Gregory Peck's face. And so then yes. I paid attention the next time. And I was like, oh, those aren't real dogs in that particular shot. You know, like, it's like people with dog right. masks doing this. You, yeah. They've got the shots of the stuntman getting bit by dogs. Those are in there. Yep. But there are also shots of Gregory Peck just like with some puppet dogs on his arms. But it doesn't look cheesy. Like it doesn't look as ridiculous it as I'm making great. that sound. Yeah. I think there's people in those, you know, yeah, puppet yeah. mouths like but actually right. like pulling with arms. It's like, yeah, yeah that was that was very well done. Because, yeah, there was one part where I noticed the stuntman. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're not going to throw Gregory Peck to the dog. And then like the very next shot, I'm like, but that's him. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I had the same yeah. experience. That's there was a lot of good stunt work in this yeah. movie. It's just yeah. and and I gotta say, I am a sucker. Uh, before before we leave the mythology entirely, I am the sucker. I'm a sucker for things like photographs that predict the future in, you know, uh, interesting or, or uh, unclear ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was so fun. Yeah, and that's like, a fun little piece of thing. But I almost wish that could have been like teased out for a longer thing. But yeah, I mean, it's a pretty long movie. Yeah. That, that is a good idea. I love David Warner. That actor is like a great character actor. Oh, yeah. He's in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, too. He's um, the closest thing we ever got to a live action Baxter Stockman. Yes, that's right. Yep. Um, yeah, he's great. Uh, and fun to see him so young and with such a bad haircut. Like, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that was probably styling and profiling back then, though. Uh, maybe. But, uh, yeah. Um, uh, oh, I had another thought about this. I wanted to. Uh, Lay on you, but, but I, I'm, I lost it. Uh, so. I just said there was a lot of cool stuff with with reflections, which I think yeah. speaks to our the thematic stuff we were talking about earlier about ignorance and about denial. And like the end of denial is when you look in the mirror and go, "Be real with yourself, dude." Yeah. And like so, there is a lot of I think that was tied into the idea of shooting a lot of things through reflection. Yeah. A lot of scenes start in reflection, and it's not until that breaks that you realize it was a reflection. Mm. They, they do that a couple of times. Yeah. Um, I love, too, the first five years of Damien's life are just in montage. Yes. That was so good. They yeah. were in montage, but I noticed in one of the pictures, uh, as he's growing up, there's just, like, a lady passing by in a bus behind him just giving him the, the spooky Whoa. glare. So that was, And I don't know if it's on purpose or if she's just old so she looks, like, evil. Just yeah. by the crags of her face, but it chilled me in the moment. No, so. that makes sense because I do think the movie is kind of implying that, like, he's he like they haven't known it, but he's been constantly surrounded by these sort of like devil caretakers. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're like guiding his growth. Yeah, uh, which I kind of like. Like, I do think the movie even implies that there might even be some characters that they don't explicitly tell us that about that also are that. Um, I mean, it could even be the the first nanny, right? Yeah, you know, and she just got too possessed or whatever, because she does say it's all for you. Yeah, and it's like that doesn't mean anything unless she's in on it. You know? Oh, I think she is. I think that's. Yeah. I definitely think that's explicitly meant to imply that she's like, she's one of just these one of them. whatever these cultists the or whatever that are. Let's yeah, call yeah, them the exactly. Sixers. Let's call them the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. <laughs> Uh, well, like one of the things that I remember distinctly about this movie is the the way the mom gets knocked Sir, I don't. So you're 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 breaking up. So, so I lost that. Say that again. I you broke up a lot. That's okay. Uh, I'm just gonna catch up with you. So uh, I remember that scene distinctly. 
like going over the railing. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I like uh, beginning of one of the shots. You lose me again. Now you're back. Okay. It just uh, cleared up. Both. Okay, and the visuals just came back. Okay, so the so, first shot, the first shot in the movie is through a banister. The very first shot in the movie. Oh yeah. Is literally showing you what's going to happen to Catherine later in the movie. It's the first thing yeah. that they show you uh, through this banister, looking down on I think Gregory Peck's character uh, somewhere. He's like sitting somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, because I remembered that kill so distinctly, it was interesting to see how much Donner was putting into the visual language of the movie. You know, they even after that, she has that fall when he's at the hospital visiting her. When he leaves, he goes down the hallway and it's shot from an above angle and you can see over the railing into the foyer. Yeah. And Gregory Peck stops and has like a shudder about it. And it's a wonderful moment of him, like, imagining what just happened to his wife as he's walking by a similar structure. Yes. Noticed a lot of that. Like, there's also a shot of the, um, you know, the the, the replacement uh, uh, caretaker that they get, who's, like, real... Uh, what's her name? Uh, she's got a great name. Uh, hold on. I have it here. What the heck's that character's name? Oh, oh Balak? Balak. Balak, yeah. Balak. Great shot of her playing as a center frame, and like she's just off to the left. Uh, Donner does a lot of shooting the geography of the house, like in the frame constantly. Oh, yeah, obviously, ultimately uses that to his advantage when he tries to kill Catherine. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, that was really good. That lady's just creepy to look at, too. Did you so I? pointed this out to me she is i believe the owner of the bar in hot fuzz no way yeah you know what i can see it yeah i'm pretty sure that's the same actress yeah oh right on yeah that's kind of cool which this movie also i think he i think Wright also pays this movie homage in the way that the newspaper guy gets killed in uh hot fuzz it's very similar to how uh uh the one character gets like the the spike pole that like breaks oh, off yeah, the, yeah. this movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're right. It's like very oh, that similar. was so cool. Yeah. I always do laugh when people do the like ah! <laughs> it's like you could just like pop a little bit that way and then it'll land next to you rather than opening your mouth to it and staring straight up. But sure, okay. You do you old priest man. Yes. Um, so I thought this was kind of interesting. I was looking through the cast list. As to who plays who in the remake and trying to like transpose that in my head. And so Robert Thorne, Gregory Peck, is played by Lee F. Schreiber. Okay. I think that's a pretty good choice. I think uh, and I like Lee F. Schreiber. I like Lee F. Schreiber and I think he can do that like very stern and serious kind of thing as well. And I like that they're both kind of like they they at least play as like bigger dudes. Yeah. I was like taken by Gregory Peck's size in this. There was a couple times where I was like, oh, he's formidable. He's actually like, we're not watching some like wiry little, you know, right. beta dad. Uh, like he actually seems like you know, someone who would be in his, his position. Yeah. Uh, Catherine Thorne is played by Julia Stiles. That I think, oh, that tracks. Interesting. Damien was just some other kid. But then this is my favorite uh, Keith Jennings. That is uh, Warner's character. Yes. 
is played by another famous uh, British character actor, David, David Thewlis. Oh, wow. That's, That's a pretty good cast. Yeah. Show. Yeah. I like that. That's very and then There's uh, I think the, the drunk old priest is somebody too. And I forget who it is. Oh yeah. The drunk old Pete priest is a uh, Pete Postlethwaite. Oh, great. And so Pete Postlethwaite gets the, gets the spear. And I think he might even get it in the mouth. Oh yeah. And Mrs. Baylock is Mia Farrow. Whoa. So like a really well cast, right? That's like, they're all like really good choices. I would like to watch it again. Cause I remember being like, yeah, sure. It's whatever. I, I, who directed that movie, Dan? John Moore, who did Max Payne. He did the flight of the Phoenix remake behind enemy lines. Yeah. A good day to die. hard. (laughs) (laughs) The only movies we've done on the show. We were both like, listen, we hated it. Yeah. But man, oh man, does it exist? Yeah, and he shot it. But yeah, so he's he's one of those guys. Um, but I remember it like being, you know, and and so what I was saying earlier is the script credit for the remake is just David Seltzer. Yeah, weird. It's not. It doesn't say as an adaptation of an earlier script. It's just screenplay by. So I'm wondering if, if maybe the they did like one. like a Van Zant Psycho thing. And just as less of an art project and just wrote on the, uh, the you know, all the, because the, this was uh, 2006. So this was like the heyday of the Platinum Dunes remakes. Yes. You know, they just went with it and, you know, and, and just used the same script. Because honestly, there's nothing in that script that speaks to anything dated. Huh. You know, except maybe like the, the relationship towards the women. But, but I think that's part of the story. Yeah. You know, so it's yeah. it's dated when we watch it, but it's also... You know, I think that's in the themes of it. Totally. Mike Spence calls his wife mother. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the high society that this ta- exists in uh, exists in exactly the same uh, piece of amber that uh, it started in <laughs> during this movie's time. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, and the, the maids, I believe, call her mother in this. Uh, well. Yeah, uh, mom. Oh, actually, you know what? I was thinking about this during the movie. This movie, I finally understood the phrase mom's the word. Because I was watching this movie. Because Mrs. Baylock keeps calling her mum and saying, like, what do you need, mum? What can I do for you, mum? And I realized that the phrase mum's the word means mum, the head of house. It, their word is what goes. Mum's the word. Like, oh, like, yeah, like, I, and, and so, I plead the fifth. Exactly. So you authority. say it when you have to go do a thing that you don't want to do. The, the reason you say it is to say, like, well, mum's the word. Like, you know. I guess we got to go do this thing. Mom's the word. Yeah. Talk to mom. Talk to the boss. Yeah. Yeah. I had one like that the other day that I learned. It was, um, yeah. Okay. So this blew my mind. Yeah. So, you know, see you later. Then the response, not if I see you first. Uh-huh. My whole life, I just thought it was one of those things, like a silly thing to say, uh-huh. you know, like a silly thing. Like, I'll see you later. Like, well, I'll beat you to it. You know, like that kind of thing. But it occurred to me that, no, that's not what's being said. Uh-huh. What's being said is they say, see you later, and then you jokingly say, not if I see you first, meaning if I see you, I'm running the other way. <laughs> and so the joke, I thought it was just like a silly little fun bit of wordplay, when actually, no, it's a silly little fun, like almost like a neg, like you're hitting that yeah. person. Uh, that is, it, it, it like shook me to realize that <laughs> I've just been thinking of it as one thing and not another. Right, that, it, that it, in your head, it was just a silly, somewhat positive connotation it had attached to it. 
And in reality, it's like, I mean, we do say it that way, but it does have a kind of negative connotation. Yeah, like, to it. there's like there's more depth to the script yeah. than I gave it credit for. Yeah. You know, like that in that exchange, I just thought it was like a fun little just like, see you later, dude, Deuterino, bleep a you know, <laughs> just like that kind of thing. But then, no, it actually has like there's stakes and characters involved. It's amazing. <laughs> but it blew my mind. And and when I when I learned that I, I couldn't decide whether that means I'm going to use it more now and say it all sinister like right. or if I'm just not going to touch it because I have gone and proven in my 36 years that I'm not worthy of handling that one. <laughs> uh, it's above my pay grade. What I'm saying is mum's the word. Right. Yeah. If you want me to do that. Mum's the word. Talk to the boss. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I can't be word. trusted. I'm washing my hands. <laughs> I'm washing my hands. I can't remember we were watching the other day, but it had like it it was from like the early 90s and like a kid in the movie was just talking like this. And I was like, man, it is so weird that there was just a uh, a 10 year period of time where we just thought that kids talked like this. <laughs> like, all kids were like, hey, dude, get out of my house. Yeah. Like, hey, guys, I'm man. a kid. Yeah. Well, that kid grew up and now he sells things like Mike's Hard Lemonade. Yeah. Because he's like, he's like in his 30s, but he's just like, yeah, it's like regular lemonade, but with a kick. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you were a kid in the 90s. Yeah. Because exactly. you used to do that. And then you would like hang kids upside down by their ankles and shake them, <laughs> shake yeah. them loose before their father, before their babysitter, Hulk Hogan, came home. Because <laughs> that's what was happening in the 90s. Hulk Hogan was the babysitter. <laughs> There are there are like multiple movies that are about that, are there not? Um, well, he was Mr. Nanny and Suburban um, Commando, right? And Suburban Commando. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Both of those movies came up on Hot Property this week. <laughs> Did they? Um, just in passing. Um, well, just about because I was we were talking about wrestling, and I made a reference to The Rock is now The Rock and John Cena are now like the highest uh, uh, Hollywood celebrity. They've effectively knocked Suburban Commando and Mr. Nanny off of the hierarchy of wrestlers that have gotten into movies. <laughs> they, fi- they finally unseated those two classics with his <laughs> Fireman movie and um, the the movie where where The Rock uh, told everyone online that he had COVID. <laughs> those two uh, those two hit blockbusters. I, I I almost I was so busy that I didn't want to do a list, but I the list idea that I had kind of came up in our conversation naturally. And I wonder if we can play with it for a minute. We talked about Dick Donner is a certain type of director and here he is doing horror. Can we think of any other examples of a really good horror movie by a director, not typically associated with the genre? God. Yes. And so like my first, my first knee jerk reaction was Bob Clark because of black Christmas and Christmas story. But I just watched, uh, Death Dream. Which, and, Dan, I also watched. Yo, right? Really great. Really, really, cool really great. Uh, honestly, so then I, it occurred to me that actually Christmas Story is the anomaly. Right, yes. And yes. so he could probably be considered a horror director. So I can't come up with any examples, though. By the way, uh, Death Dream, probably a precursor to The Guest. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. very similar story. Um, I think you about know? that, but yeah, 100% yeah. right. It's the same kind of setup and the same kind of thing of, and especially if we read the guest the way I like to with your reading, yeah, because um, that's fun to think about. But the idea of just like, did the military machine just spit out a completely different version of my boy? Right. Yeah. You know, like yep. that is that is, oh, that shit is delicious. Who actually comes home, basically? You know. Yeah. Uh, now, granted, the people in the guest they were delighted to have a honk walk in. 
Whereas <laughs> in Death Dream, um, I would say that he's slightly anemic, <laughs> and um, yeah, not not quite the not quite the the quality of hunk that I want knocking down my door to tell me that the child I once had is gone. <laughs> Agreed. Well, you know, maybe a good example of what we're trying to to figure out here, Dan, is um, uh, but but almost in the inverse, uh, Spielberg, which we've talked about this before, where he's not really a horror movie director, but is actually like making some of the better within his movies are some of the best horror movies you can yeah. you can see, you know? Yeah, like he, I was. I mean, I rewatched E.T. a few weeks back, and there's some really good horror in that. Yeah. I mean, I guess the other answer, the obvious answer would be Kubrick because, you know, he has a horror masterpiece in his, but like to even really try and qualify any of his movies as any genre is rough. Yeah. 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 Because it's like Eyes Wide Shut has horror elements. You know, his war movie has horror elements. His horror movie has, you know, melodrama elements. There's, he's, he's a mix. He does, he's kind of genreless. I see what you mean. Yeah. I'm I'm trying I'm like I'm literally just like going through some of my letterbox history kind of like trying to see if anything strikes me I was like oh yeah that's like you know but I mean I guess there's a near dark yeah uh, okay what's Catherine Bigelow Catherine Bigelow doesn't really do horror but that's like largely considered that's a great movie that's Uh, largely considered a classic it just occurred to me that a lot of people I often see Manhunter put in the category of horror movies, and that's uh, Michael Mann, who I don't yeah. think you would really think of as a horror director, but I also don't know that I would totally put Manhunter in the horror category. He also category. did, uh, I wouldn't put it in the horror category, but he also did The Deep, which is a horror movie. Did or he? The Keep. The Keep, the Keep. sorry. That's right, the that's Keep. right. Which I got around time. He did The Keep, um, which is, like, totally classic, but, like, it's a very, uh, it's a very silly movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you seen that? I have not. That, oh, it's I, a lot I of fun. See that one. The, the, the hat is a really fun design. Okay. Um, and it's got Jürgen Prock now in it. Uh, I mean, you know what? Uh, Rennie Harlan made a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And uh, Rennie's not really a, a horror director. That's true. Um, you know, I, I guess the devil's Mayberry question yeah. is whether that's a horror movie. Yes. But. I'm trying to think of in terms of like, are there any like other, cause the Omen is considered a classic. Yeah. Are there any other classics that are directed like classics of the genre directed by non-genre directors? Yeah. No, I mean, even, even not classics can come into the discussion if that's all we can come up with, but no, no, it's yeah. just such a tough thing. Cause I'm thinking about, but I'm wondering if maybe my approach is I'm approaching it from the point of view of trying to locate classics right. and instead locating a filmmaker. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just, I'm like trying to, but but it's so weird. It is an interesting thing of like, I keep looking at all these different titles here in my letterbox and it's like, nope, that person makes horror movies. Nope, so does that, you know, it's like, that really is like a genre of just like, if you're interested in it, that's what you do. Yeah, (laughs) people go for it. Yeah, Uh, it's, and and I'm just wondering if it's just a a limitation of my memory right now, because it's like, well, uh, you know, uh, James Cameron is potentially an example of this. You know, yeah. um, the, the Terminator, I think, is is definitely a horror movie. I, he also, what, Piranha is the, the movie that he was like, yeah. taken off of when he was young. Is that right? Yeah. And so I guess by extension, you could get Ridley Scott into that, too. Because That's like, right. he has made horror movies, but like he has also made Proof of Life. You know, like right. he is, you know, he does. 
right. a wide variety of things. It feels like they uh, got their career started with that kind of genre material. And, and well, I guess Cameron's never left genre, really. Um, uh, uh, Scott certainly has. Um, yeah. But uh, horror, specifically, Cameron has not really returned to. Uh, you know, he, even when he made a Terminator sequel, he turned it into a summer blockbuster. Yeah, he went to adventure. Know. And, like, even his closest heart, like, Cameron, like, with Aliens, that's, like, yeah. more an action movie than a horror movie. That's, like, a spectacle yeah, movie. Yeah. Right. I was looking at, um, this is one that could be argued, but Lynn Ramsey, because, Ooh. like, we need to talk about Kevin is a horror movie. And it's something that I was thinking about a lot watching The Omen. Okay. But then I think about Lynn Ramsey, and it's like she also did You Were Never Really Here, which is very uh, a horrific movie. I wouldn't call it a horror, right. but it does bridge the gap between horror and what I would consider we need to talk about Kevin to be. Right. So I feel like she works in that, that tonal period and hasn't really made a uh, – that tonal area and mm-hmm. hasn't really made a, uh, like a, like a genre horror movie. So that's like not a good example. Yeah, man. It's so interesting now that we're like trying to, you know, hunt some of this down. And I feel like there should be tons of examples of this. I think I have one. And uh, I I think it's going to be a good answer, but I want to look into his filmography to be sure. I was going to say Chuck Russell. God, Chuck Russell did the remake of The Blob. I know. I just thought of that. that? I believe he also did Nightmare on Elm Street 3, did he not? He did do three, but he also he's like a guy who does the mask eraser. Um, yes, yes. Scorpion King. Uh, but you know he does he does like bless the child and so yeah he would not count. I, I agree, you're right. He would not count. But but yeah, yeah, and it's so interesting. It's like all these guys are genre guys, even if they don't even if they don't necessarily do horror, they keep you know they're they're sort of right around just making genre movies. What about Invasion of the Body Snatchers in the seventies? Who made that? What's that, that guy? Philip, Philip Philip Kaufman. That's an answer. Uh, yeah. Philip Kaufman. Got? Let's see. He uh, directed. So yeah, he directed Hemingway and Gellhorn, Twisted, Quills, Rising Sun, Henry and June, The Unbearable Lightness of Being, The Right Stuff. <laughs> so yeah, he he has not done a single horror yeah. movie except Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and that's one of the greats. It but is. it is a it is a remake. <laughs> True. True. Which changes things. Oh my god. And if you go to the um if you go to the uh uh to the page for Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you will be treated to have you have you seen Jeff Goldblum's headshot lately? No. That's of course that's what it's it hard is. to see, I, yeah. It's a there's a cat on the sweater too. Yep. It's one of I, those things though where it's like he's very close to being too aware uh-huh. of what he is. And I don't think he's crossed it yet because his brand is quite unique. Yes, yes. But he's he's very close to being there, and I don't want it to happen because it like sunk Walken. Yeah. Once yeah. Walken became too aware, it was just over. Uh-huh. And he's just he's like an ounce more aware, and somebody getting a really good impression down and putting it online <laughs> to being at the end of that shit. And the the kitty sweater is right there. That's true. I, once SNL finds somebody to do a good impression of him, he's like over, isn't he? It's done. Yeah, it's completely done. But the cool thing is, like, we're probably like two or three years short 
of Walken getting a role as the really, really old mobster who's cold as shit and will cut your fucking face off <laughs> right. and wear it to your fucking funeral to laugh at your mom like he's that uh-huh. guy. Um, we're going to get that movie, and it'll be worth, you know, the years of Kangaroo Jack and other such <laughs> delights. Yeah. Balls of Fury and things. Was he Balls of Fury? can't remember. I don't think I've ever I feel seen like he Balls just of showed Fury. up and was just like, whoa, bounce the ball. Ping pong. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, ping pong. Oh, he did it. Uh, like it sounds uh, right uh, to go me dance that movie. And no love seen... lost to Walken. Yeah, none at all. I'm just saying. But yeah, I don't know. Are there any other like? What's a great horror movie? I'm just I'm digging through everything I got here, and it's all just like, nah. That's what they do. They make horror movies. Yeah. They make. Well, Hellraiser was directed by Clive Barker. Let's see what else. <laughs> <he did. laughs> Oh, no, no, he's done, like, only horror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't think of, like, another, like, great, great horror movie. What's, like, a, a great? Well, it's just, like, every time, like, Reanimator. Nope, that's Stuart Gordon. That's what he does. Uh, what about, uh, uh, you know, the any Friday the 13th movie? No, that's just, they're all genre makers. They're, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, the fly. No, that's Cronenberg. That's what he does. Like, you know, uh, Dan Curtis, who did Burnt Offerings, one of yeah. my favorites. He's like got a mixed thing. Like he has things like Saving Millie, The Love <laughs> Letter, Me and the Kid. But he also has Trilogy of Terror too. Intruders. He did a lot of Dark Shadows. Okay. It's like The Winds of War, um, The Last Ride of the Dalton Gang, Super Train. And <laughs> every day is the 4th of July, but then also like Dead of Night, Burnt Offerings. Oh, Dead of Night is the other dream. Yep, yep. I like Death Dream. Death Dream was good. I liked that movie a lot. We, I watched I like the, uh, I'm saying I like that title, Death Dream. I like oh, Dead yes. of Night, but I like Death Dream a little better. Death Dream is a better title for sure. Uh, yeah. I can't think of any others. I don't know. I think. Oh, actually, wait. We're going over the most obvious one. Which one? Friedkin. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, Friedkin made The Exorcist, but his other big ones are like French Connection, To Live and Die in L.A., Killer Joe, Bug, The Hunted, Rules of Engagement, 12 Angry Men on TV, uh, Blue Blue Chips. (laughs) I mean, he also dipped into, he did like episodes of Tales from the Crypt. Like, he's definitely worn the veil of, I'm the guy who made Exorcist. He did that fucking Stupid, stupid, stupid documentary, The Devil and Father of Morph. Yeah, which oh. is like his weird way of being like, no, nah, I mean, The Exorcist is scary because it's real. Yeah, it was It was weird. It, it's weird because I'm like, I'm kind of like torn between two minds on that because on the one hand, like, I watched it and I was like, oh, okay, this is definitely fake because like when they show her being exercised, she has voice modulation. Yeah. And um, but the movie itself claims to have no sweetening to it in any right. way. And then I read an interview with Friedkin, and he got all huffy and offended when someone suggested that maybe he sweetened the audio on that. Uh-huh. And so, like, half of me was like, "Fuck you, dude! We're not fucking idiots." Yeah. But the other half of me was like, "Bravo! Stick uh-huh. to your guns and just do your huckster bullshit, and I'm yeah. here for it." And so, you know, I, I'm not actually mad, but it was definitely a movie that I watched thinking he was going to do something interesting with it, and then finding out that it was just like uh, a, a misfired gimmick is quite yeah. disappointing. 
To Live and Die in L.A. is a movie I want to see. I'd like to see that. I've never seen that one. I hear it's got a but, good but, car chase. Yeah. Well, I mean, and friend, if Friends Connection is any indication. But yeah, he's... Man, Friedkin's real good. I just... That, that made me so mad, that stupid thing. There's even a part at the end where he talks about this explicitly supernatural thing that happened while he was filming this movie, but it was on the day that he forgot his camera. Like, you, you bitch. I was so mad. And he describes it like, and then she flew up the wall and screamed this. And it was like, you fucking bitch. Shut up. Shut up and stop this this already short movie. Stop yeah. it. I'm not going to turn it off, so you better, sir. Oh, that's a great way for us to circle back for a closing. Is that's my o- That really is my only complaint about The Omen was I, ju- I did feel like it went on like a little too long. It, 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 it wore out its welcome for me just a little bit. It's not unfair. I do think that there is a, a pacing shift in the second scene, but I would I would disagree only insofar as I am so dead tired, and when I'm dead tired, I'm very unkind to movies. Yeah, my brain is a haze of watching movies for the festival, and like because you can watch them at home, like you do your best to watch it all in one sitting, but like yeah. every once in a while you have to cook dinner and all that, and you have to yeah. time everything, so it's just like a big mishmash of everything in my head. And this rose above it, and I was engaged, and I was legitimately freaked out, and I was so impressed with the shot-by-shot filmmaking, and I loved the performances. So, like, I was really in a position where this movie wasn't going to do it for me, and the fact that it really did it for me speaks to it to its quality, I think. I'm with you, yeah. I would like to watch it again, though, because, as with my favorite horror and things like The Guest, is I think there's actually a lot of little fun touches in this script that I'm not aware of yet, and little connections. I, I, I think I can respect this script enough to assume that that'll be the case on repeat viewings. Yeah. But I don't know if you'd want to do the remaining movies as a series to revisit every few weeks, because I'd like to watch the rest, because I think there's like, there's like, like Psycho, there's like three and then a kind of TV one. I'm into that because I, like I said, like I liked this first one so much when I was, you know, younger and not into this that I sought the other two out and I definitely watched them. Like I have vague mm. memories of them. So I would love to revisit them. And they got a uh, Sam Neill in them. I yes. know he's in one of them. I think yep. he plays growing up Damien one, in one of them. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's like, that's, that's, that's cool in, yes. in and of itself. Yep. I'm into it. Sweet. Yeah. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Yeah. Let's I think we may have, it. We have some other episodes coming up as well. So, uh, you know, we'll just litter those out throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, I am totally into that. All right. Um, what was I going to say about something? Ah, whatever, I'm going to eat dinner. <laughs> uh, well, why don't we uh, close out with some plugs? Uh, Actually, I want to ask, yeah. in your camera frame right now, there's a beer can to your immediate left that says SPF on it, as in, like, sunscreen? Yeah. I what is that? I just I like that label. Uh, so this is Goose Island. Okay, I like uh, them. And it is a uh, refreshing, juicy, effervescent uh, ale with natural passion fruit flavor. I nice. don't know why Sounds it's good. called SPF, but it's very tasty. Nice. I'm into it. I just when I saw that, I was like, "What a fun novelty title, SPF." I know. And I was yeah. reminded of Always Sunny when they put tequila in lotion bottles so they could drink at the beach. Yes. But Charlie just drank lotion because that's the way that works. <laughs> that's what a Charlie does. <laughs> that's just how it goes. Uh, oh, dude, that was a there's a movie at the fest. It played Fantastic Fest. It's at the Philly Film Fest called Action USA. Oh, yeah. I know what you you're talking gotta about. You got to get your hands on it because yeah. it is uh, 
it is the type of movie that uh well what it literally was was a stunt man was just kind of given a fair amount of money to make a stunt heavy movie uh-huh. and the plot reflects that it's the exact type of movie that mac on it's always sunny would yep. love and it stars the actor who plays mac's dad no way and so it's just it's beautiful it's the guy from um remember in batman returns uh the clown that's like I'm not much for speeches, but I'll just I'll just say thanks. And he does the flip. <laughs> yeah. That's him, and he plays the lead action star. And it is just, Mwah! you want to talk stuntman on fire? <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! Oh, it's a delight. Yeah, you would love I it, man. It's really want to see it. Yeah, it, I, it's getting a release. It's yeah. I, I think Drafthouse put it out, so it's like getting one of those right. releases. Yeah, I'm good stuff. It. Uh, well, let's close it up. You can find yeah, the show. Yeah, let's, let's wrap it. On uh, on Twitter and Facebook at I Like Two Movie, it's numeric two. You can email us at I Like Two Movie at gmail dot com. Um, we actually we got an email from a listener this week uh, recommending a movie that I think we're going to seek out and uh, do an episode on. Uh, yes, yes, future. thank you, uh, thank you, Nick, yeah. for reaching out to the show and recommending that movie. We're definitely going to do that. Um, actually, I I, uh, I have to send the response to that email. That just reminded me. Okay. I will do that. Um, yeah. yeah. So we were responding to, be, yeah. Uh, that was a really great recommendation and exactly the kind of stuff that you're looking for. So that we're looking for. So stay tuned everybody. And thank you, Nick, for reaching out to the show. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and do the same, uh, email us, tell us about a movie you want us to talk about. Um, and the reason we ask you guys to do that for us is like the movie that Nick recommended to us is one that I would have never thought to do an episode yeah. on. And it's one that I'm honestly almost entirely unfamiliar with. Yeah. What was otherwise. it called, Dan? Um, and see, now I'm not even going to have it off the top of my head. I know. Hold it, on. I can, I got the email here. Um, but because uh, I figure if we're just going to talk about it here, we might as well tell the listeners too. Oh, uh, so it's The Beast or The Beast of War. Beast of War. That's it. Yeah. The Beast of War from 1988. Uh, so we we are going to do an episode on that. And I, I'm with you, Dan. This is why I want people to email us because I've never heard of this movie. And I don't know that it's a movie I would have sought out, but it sounds really interesting and I'm excited to check it out. Yeah, it's something cool. And like, I don't know, that's that's kind of what we want is, you know, there's a we can all talk about the thing until, yeah, <laughs> until we're yeah, out of yeah, words yeah. on it. And and I am happy to do and so. I will. But it's like we, uh, you know, show some some crazy shit that maybe we haven't heard of or just that you would like to hear us talk about. Yeah, I'm now a Viva Video subscriber, so I can, uh, you can you know, get some get crazy, some pretty shit. obscure titles. Nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, yeah. Please email us and uh, look us up online. Um, subscribe and rate us uh, on iTunes. That that would be very helpful to us too. And uh, find me on uh, uh, on Twitter and Letterbox at uh, Philadelphia. It's with an F. And uh, hit up cinema seventy six dot com. Uh, Tori and I wrote a piece called The Long Halloween that uh, will be up uh, on Monday. So probably by the time you're listening to this. Uh, right on. That uh, I'm really excited about. You should check it out. And um, also remember too, we have YouTube, so uh, check that out. We oh, right. have some cool stuff there. We just dropped an episode with friend of the show, Eric Christopher Myers. It was uh, quite a bit of fun. Um, fun. You can find me at Dan Scully on all the things, Letterbox, Twitter, all that fun stuff. Um, Cinema76.com and Findy.com. It's been a heavy writing month, so there's just a lot of words on both those sites from my <laughs> fingers. So please check those out and um, check out Hot Property, uh, the other show that I do. As well as uh, just this week, the episode that we did as a crossover with Dep Impact yes. just dropped on the Dep Impact feed, as well as a lot of other really fun and exciting stuff. Yeah. Um, there's there's a lot 
Uh, I happen to know that there's an episode coming up on Trump's Art of the Deal starring Johnny oh, Depp. And so, uh, that's right. Yeah, you should definitely uh, tune into that as well. So a <laughs> little, little shout out for my better half. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Uh, all right. My name is Gareth Smith and I like to move a movie. Sorry, I just, I just got <laughs> Fuck. Okay. My name's oh, so I like to movie movie. Sorry. <laughs> you like to movie movie because, <laughs> because we like to movie. movie. Dude, I'm fucking tired. That's just what's happening. <laughs>